right, so Psalm 51 is what we are going to uh, be discussing tonight, and it is a picture of repentance, David's repentance, whenever he was caught in sin and he felt the weight of that sin. So I'm going to read Psalm 51, verses um, 1 through 19, and I ask you, please stand with me as I read. Again, this is all for God's glory, God's honor, none of mine. When we stand, we're standing in honor to God. When, when God speaks, it's through his word, so we want to honor that whenever we read his word. So Psalm 51, starting in verse 1, it says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse, cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise, for you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offering. The young bulls will be offered on your altar. You may be seated. <clears throat> So tonight, just as an intro here, the setting of this psalm comes on the heels of Nathan the prophet confronting King David about his sin with uh, Bathsheba, the sin of adultery and also the sin of murdering her husband, Uriah, after finding out she was pregnant with his child. Uh, Bathsheba was pregnant with David's child. So I trust that you know the account of David and Bathsheba. See 2 Samuel 11 for the full account if you need a refresher of it. 
we're not going to deal fully with that passage of Scripture tonight, but rather the repentance of David once the full weight of his sin fell upon him after Nathan confronted him. So the title of the sermon tonight is A View of Proper Repentance. A View of Proper Repentance. And as we walk through the scripture tonight, we are only going to be scratching the surface of what this scripture, what this uh, passage of scripture talks about. There is so much that can be said uh, about this, but not enough time to do it tonight. So we will go through and just hit on some points of application as we go through. And then when we end, we'll talk about how we apply this to ourselves. So starting in verse one, <clears throat> verse one, it says, be gracious to me, O God. So the King James Version and the, the ESV both read, have mercy, have mercy on me, O God. So mercy, what is that? It is defined as God's undeserved favor. This is God's showing favor to sinners who deserve nothing less than his wrath on account of their sin against him and his holiness. It is God's mercy that holds back what is truly deserved of sinners who break his commands. Without God's mercy, David realizes that he would be undone. See, this is, in fact, a reality for us all. We would find ourselves to be utterly ruined and undone were it not for the mercy of God. God, in his divine mercy, shows pity to miserable sinners. Through his mercy, he gives grace to remorseful, guilt-ridden sinners who have no hope but in God alone. David asks for this mercy in accord with who God is. He says, according to your loving kindness. So David is asking for mercy that can only be found in God alone and distributed by God, being that he is the only one who is perfectly merciful. God distributes uh, such mercy according to his loving kindness. Mercy is a part of who God is. It is his nature. And it is to this merciful kindness of God that David fled. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, hear what it says. It says, Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord... The Lord God, compassionate or merciful, depending on your translation, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. So we see here in verse one, what you want to take notice of is how David not only allures himself to the mercy of God, but he appeals directly to it before even making mention of sin. He says, have 
mercy on me, O God. Be gracious to me, O God. David knows God to be compassionate. A, a compassionate and gracious God, as the Lord said that he is, as we just read. And it is upon that mercy that David throws himself. He goes on to appeal to the great and abundant mercies of God, asking God to blot out his transgressions. So what he is saying is this record, this account that is being kept against me, wipe it out, obliterate it, get rid of it. That is what David is asking. And see, we know that debt is only truly satisfied when it is either paid in full by the debtor or when the, uh, the creditor graciously cancels it out for some reason. That's the only way that it is going to be atoned for. Now, someone could do it, pay your debt off on your behalf, but it is still your debt that is being paid, being satisfied. So listen, understand what David is asking for here. He is asking for his transgressions to be blotted out, forgotten about, gone, done away with. What were his transgressions? Well, he had Bathsheba's husband murdered. He committed adultery. He lied. He coveted. Those are just a few of the sins, the transgressions that David wanted wiped out. And he's asking for these things to be obliterated according to the great compassion of God. The great compassionate mercy of God is what sinners need whenever they are awakened to the evil of their sin. With a proper view of repentance, the offending sinner flees to the mercy of God. Verse 2, it says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." God's mercy toward David, though great, God's mercy being great toward him was not enough for David. David prayed that God would wash the stain of sin from him. He is saying, multiply to wash me, wash me again and again. Just knowing that he was forgiven was not enough. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, it says this. It says, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't it sound wonderful when you take into account the transgressions that were stacked against David? But for David... It was not enough. He needed more from God. His soul was not settled knowing only that he was pardoned. He wanted to be cleansed from his multitude of sins. He sought purification from sin. David's offenses were great. They were sins that deserved death. So to only be forgiven, as great as that was in itself, was not sufficient for David. He was seeking the deep penetration 
of his heart by the Spirit of God that would enable him to accept the grace that God bestowed on him. David was forgiven by God, but he wasn't so easily forgiven by himself. David took it to heart. Have you ever sinned so greatly that it felt like the daggers of that sin penetrated all the way down to your soul? No matter what it is, no matter what the magnitude of that sin is, it penetrated down to your soul and you know the effect that it had on you. You know how it made you feel, how disgustingly unworthy you may have felt, so much that a simple, you're forgiven, is not enough. You know that you want more. You, you may have accepted that forgiveness, but still in your heart of hearts, you felt that deep pain, though receiving grace in full. See, David was fully forgiven of his sin, but that sin cut deep. See, listen, it is true, and I'll tell you this before I say it. I I had this written down before you spoke this morning, Pastor Joe. (laughs) It is true that we, as children of God, cannot outsin God's grace. But equally true is the fact that we should not try to because of the damaging effects of sin on your life. You will deal with the consequences of sin. David's sin stained so deeply that only a work of God could truly cleanse him from it. So with this, we see with a proper view of repentance, the penitent knows that only God can wash them clean from the stain of sin. Verse 3, he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. David is acknowledging his sin. He knows it and expects to have a deep sense of it, not only for the moment that he was confronted with that sin, but for as long as he lives. For as long as he lives, he says, the sin shall ever be before me. David confessed his sin. See, it is of utmost importance that known sin is confessed. Unconfessed sin will wear a person down. And that is something that David knew as well. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 32, verses 1 through 5. And this is also a psalm of David. Starting in verse 1, it says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen to what he says here. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning 
all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So listen, when David confessed his sin, there was a weight that was released off of him from the the, the heaviness of sin that he was carrying on him. It was a weight that could only be lifted by God and him alone. But listen, look at the toll that the sin took on David. He said that his body wasted away through groaning, literally roaring all day. Now, I doubt that David was going around roaring, but you know, whenever you hide your sin, the effect that it has on you, and even if it is just, because there's something going on that you know is not right. His body was wasting away. The Lord's hand was heavy upon him. There was no relief. This this heaviness was carried throughout the day and night, and no doubt, as with anything of substantial weight, the longer you carry it, the heavier it gets. Not because more weight is being added on, but you are carrying the load by yourself. And the longer that you carry it, the heavier it is going to seem to be. David was carrying a weight of sin that was either going to cause him to buckle underneath the pressure or cry out for help, bearing the load or having it removed altogether. And this was the heaviness of the Lord's hand on him because of his sin. Just like the summer heat drains the liveliness and power from a person, so did David's unconfessed sin drain him. David's con- David confessed his sin. He did not hide it from God. And the result was forgiveness from the guilt of sin. Not only this, but we see in verses 1 and 2 of uh, chapter 32, it says that the sin was covered and that it was not imputed to David. See, this is the result of confessed sin. Confessed sin to God for us as believers, okay? The sin is covered. It is not imputed to us. A proper view of repentance leads the sinner to acknowledge and confess all of their sin to God. None of it is hidden. Verse 4 of chapter 51, he says this. He says, against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. The sins of David were massive and his sins affected many people. So it is easy to look at this statement and ask the question, how was David's sin against God alone? Listen, he made Bathsheba an adulterer. He murdered her husband and others perished with him. David sinned against his own wife, his 
children, the people of Israel that he was in charge over, and the list goes on. So how is this a sin against God alone, as David stated? David, as king, legally was responsible only to God. There was no higher office to which David was accountable to. God alone was above David. David, in a sense, was above the law, in the sense of civil magistrates and lawgivers, you might say. However, he was not above God's law. And it was against God's law that he sinned. He violated the sixth commandment, the seventh, the tenth. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet. David was not above God's law. So in an absolute sense, we see David sinned against others as well as God. Comparatively, however, we see that his sin was against God alone. All of the offenses against others traced to sins and offenses against God alone as the just law giver. David knew that his sin was evil and that it was an evil committed in the sight of God. So whatever punishment that God rendered fit against David, David could not complain because he knew that the Lord was justified in the sentence handed down to him. What was the sentence for David's sin? We see that in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. It says this, it says, Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your, from before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. So this sin was going to be made public. Though David did it in secret, it was made public, right? So David knew that whatever God, whatever sentence that God uh, rendered against him, he was just in doing so. See, a lot of people, whenever they want to talk about God and God honoring what he says he's going to do, you hear the, won't he do it, people? You see the things, the hashtags on Facebook when people are talking about getting a new car, getting a new house, all of these good things, won't he do it? But no one ever wants to say, won't he do it when he promises to punish your sin? No one. But he will, and he did with David. A proper view of repentance shows us that all sins, though they affect others, are ultimately against God. Verse 5, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. This is not David slighting his mother. From Scripture, we can see that David has a proper view 
of his mother. Psalm 86, 16, it says, turn to me and be gracious to me. Oh, grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your handmaid. Again, in Psalm 116, verse 16, he again refers to, well, while he's speaking to God as his mother, as the, the handmaid of God or the maid servant of God. She served God. David, uh, he, he is not slighting his mother and trying to say that it was her fault. He is not blaming her for the sin, but rather he is taking that upon himself. He is taking responsibility for his own sin. Listen, loving mothers themselves will try to absorb the sins of their children. Mothers who who love their little boys so much will try to absorb the sin. Listen, I was talking to my mother a couple of months ago while she was in the hospital. She was laying on the hospital bed, and she said to me, she said, I wish that I would have done this different, and maybe you would not have done. I said, stop. I said, stop. I said, listen. We can go back, we can say that, maybe this would have been different, that would have been different, but let me tell you this. In all of my understanding, I knew that I was sinning against God. See, even a loving mother cannot absorb the sin of their children. David owned his own sin. He was saying, it was my fault, not my dear mother's, though she conceived me in sin. My sin is not her fault. There was no stain that is recorded against his father, Jesse, either. So David is not saying that the act of his conception was a sinful one. He was pointing back, David was pointing back to original sin. Because of the sin of Adam, David knew that he had a nature of sin that was personal to himself, and he owned it. This is not a concept foreign to Scripture, and we heard about it for the last couple of Sundays here. But Psalm 58, 3, it says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. These who speak lies go astray from birth, literally, from the womb. We are sinners from birth, and we are responsible for our own sin. What we must do is acknowledge it, confess it, do not hide it. Verse 6 says, you desire truth in the innermost being. God desires truth within the inward parts of a man. The outside may be well-polished and confessed, Conformity to charity, morality, religiosity, but meanwhile, the inner parts may be filled with sinful, wretched darkness. David, when he was talking about his foes, he says, Oh Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself, their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Jesus said in Luke eleven thirty nine. 39, but the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but 
inside of you. You are full of robbery and wickedness. God is not impressed with the unstained outward appearance, no matter how pristine it is, but he is concerned with truth in the inward parts. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not see uh, as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, the inner man. That's what God looks at. Samuel, when he was going to anoint the king, he looked at one of David's brothers whenever he came in, and he said, yeah, that has to be the guy based on his outward appearance. But the Lord said, no, I rejected him. So he does not look at the outward appearance. It is the hidden inward parts that make uh, that God makes believers to know wisdom, as he says here. So the inner man cannot be filled with wicked sin and filled with godly wisdom all at the same time. Not going to happen. God will make wisdom known when the inner man is cleansed. If you have been cleansed through continual repentance, yet feel that you still lack wisdom, ask God for wisdom, and he will give it to you generously. That is what James tells us. Verse 7, he says, purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Hyssop was a plant that was used to sprinkle the blood of the Passover lamb. Exodus 12, 22 tells us. It was also used to sprinkle uh, lepers whenever they were admitted back into the, uh, the congregation, Le- uh, Leviticus 14 shows us. It is likely that David had the sprinkling of the lepers in mind whenever he was saying this, because what, what happened was the lepers were sprinkled seven times and then pronounced clean. David was asking to be sprinkled and then pronounced clean. This, of course, the sprinkling with hyssop was a uh, ritual. It was a shadow of things that were to come, greater things that were to come. Uh, he also says to wash me, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David is asking the Lord to wash him as he did in verse 2. The result, he says, is that he will be whiter than snow. We read this morning, Isaiah 1.18, it talks about how the sins are as scarlet, they are Red like crimson, they will be like wool. It even says they will be white as snow. David says that he will be whiter than snow. Sometimes after heavy snow days, the snow piles up on the grass and on the trees, and then the Lord blesses us with sunshine from above. And there are times when the rays of sunlight hit that snow so perfectly that it looks like it is just glistening like it is diamonds out there David is saying that he is going to be whiter than that snow 
whenever the Lord washes him. Before the, the, the snow is defiled by any other elements, it is beautiful as it sits upon the trees. Forget about how you feel about the wintertime. That is God's beauty that you see, you know, and that you get to experience. Praise God that he allows you to see something like that. But David is saying that I will be whiter than even the purest, crispest, whitest snow whenever you make me clean. He says in verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. We talked about the effects of sin on David. He was in misery. Even in this verse, he talks about his bones being broken. But what is he saying here? His heart was broken over his sin against an altogether lovely God. The only way to describe it was to equate the brokenness of his heart to that pain of a broken bone. And if you have ever broken a bone, you know the pain that you feel from it. The pain may subside for a while, but whenever your attention is brought back to that broken bone with in your body, the alarms start to go off. Something needs to be done. You need to get this fixed. But see, even bones that are healed or surgically repaired sometimes remain tender for a while. I know that firsthand. I had surgery over a year ago and still have the pain. But see, that's sometimes how it is with our sin. Even though we are forgiven, even though we are made clean that sin sometimes it 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 gives us heartache and listen we although we are forgiven should not always run from that it is not a bad thing to remember where god has brought you from now you are not to be uh downcast about that over some sin that has been forgiven and has been done away with. But it is not a bad thing for us to remember how far God has brought us, and we give glory to his name because of it. All right? So we see in verse 7 that David first asked for cleansing. Now, in this verse, he's asking the Lord to let him hear joy and gladness. And, and for healing to the broken bones, followed by rejoicing. See, he did not ask to be made to rejoice first, then for cleansing. The proper order was cleansing first, then rejoicing. A view of proper repentance shows us that we must first be cleansed from sin before we can rejoice Verse 9, he says, hide your face from my sins. What is one of the things, one of the first things that we do whenever we don't want to see something that is repulsive? We turn our faces from it. The disgusting filth of David's sin is something that he did not want the Lord to look upon. If the Lord would continue to look upon the sin that David committed, the anger of the Lord would continue to burn against that sin and the heaviness that David carried would continue to increase. The pain that he felt would magnify. The strength and vitality that he once had would continue to be drained away. He wanted God to turn his 
face away from it. Now you get a sense of why this passage begins with, be gracious to me, have mercy on me, O God, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Just like in uh, 51 uh, 51.1, it says the same thing, blot out my transgressions. His sins were many. He asked the Lord to blot all of them out. Just one sin left unpardoned is enough to leave a man undone. For just one sin against an infinitely holy God is deserving of wrath, death, eternal punishment. One sin left unpardoned is enough to turn the peaceful sea of salvation into a raging storm of discipline for the believer. And even that is God's love. He disciplines those whom he loves. Just one sin committed by a non-believer left unpardoned by Christ's blood is cause for them to be eternally crushed under the wrath of God that they have spurned. David says, create in me, in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. We talked moments ago about how David went back to the beginning with sin, to the original sin of Adam. Now he is going back just a little bit further. He is going back now to the beginning of time. In Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Isn't it amazing how so much ties back to the beginning, yet so many people try to deny how this earth came into existence the way that the Bible tells us. But what is David saying here? It is as if he is saying to God, God, in your power, you created earth and the heavens above it. So I know you are omnipotent. Lord, with such dynamic power, do an even mightier work in me. Take this darkened heart that has been stained by sin. Make it brand new. See, it is a miracle that God created this earth out of nothing. Think about that. He created it out of nothing. It is even an even greater work when God raises a dead sinner from death to life. When he takes a dead, stony heart, gives it life through regeneration, causes it to obey the command of God that it was the God that it was once diametrically opposed to. The command to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That power makes that man or that woman who once hated God now seek after his holiness with all that they are. That is a miracle. And that is only scratching the surface of what happens. See, this work, it is an inward work in the heart of man, a work that only God through his power can do. He says, 
renew a steadfast spirit in me. Make my spirit right within me. Make it fixed in you. Firmly stayed upon your foundation. With a proper view of repentance, the sinner knows that only God can make their sin-stained heart brand new. He says, do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. How dreadful it would have been to be cast away from the presence of God because of the multitude of transgressions committed by David. David knew how justified God would have been in doing so. He could have justifiably taken his Holy Spirit from David. And David dreaded that more than anything else. He knew what Genesis 6-3 said, that my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he also is flesh. He knew firsthand what happened to Saul. First Samuel 16, 14, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Do not think for one moment that the thought of the Holy Spirit leaving David did not terrorize him after knowing firsthand what happened with Saul. It is almost as if he is saying, do not leave me as you did Saul. Assuming the words of David, Matthew Henry puts it like this. He says, Lord, whatever thou take from me, my children, my crown, my life, yet take not thy Holy Spirit from me, but continue thy Holy Spirit with me to perfect the work of my repentance, to prevent my relapse into sin, and to enable me to discharge my duty both as prince and as a psalmist. Listen, what this verse is not saying, is uh, what it does not teach is that a true believer can lose salvation given them by God. The perspicuity of Scripture does not support that at all. A true believer, a child of God, cannot lose the salvation given them by God. Think of the miracle that we just discussed. Imagine that being ha- happening in reverse and then you being able to experience that miracle all over again and then lose it again and then all over. No, that is not what Scripture teaches here. No, we cannot lose our salvation, but David knew firsthand what happened to Saul. He says, restore the joy of your salvation. He knew the joy of salvation, but the sin that he was involved in interfered with that joy of salvation that he had. Restoration, he wanted to be restored to that joy that he once knew, and that could only come from God and no one else. Again, someone could have said, David, David, you are forgiven. You are safe in God. They could have told him those things until they were blue in the face, but that was not enough for him. He needed for his joy to be restored. And he says, sustain me with a willing spirit. He wants to be upheld by the spirit and the supreme power of God. As a result of this, what is David going to do? He says, then, then 
I will teach transgressors your ways. See, it is only after we are cleansed that we can then go out and teach transgressors the ways of God. He said that he would teach them his ways, God's ways, through repentance, how they could turn back to God, but also how gracious and merciful that God is. He will teach them, is what he says, and then sinners would return to God. He goes on in verse 14 and says, deliver me from blood guiltiness. He was guilty of the sin of murder. He broke God's command. He was convinced of the fact that he was a murderer. He needed the God of salvation to deliver him from the guilt of that sin. Only God could do that. And then he says, then my tongue will joyfully sing of your praises. He says, oh Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Have you ever been in sin, deeply entrenched in it, and dared try to worship God? You can barely open your mouth. I know of a guy who, when I was younger, he got into a fight. Somebody punched him in his face, broke his jaw. He had to have his jaw wired shut, right? He could talk, but he had to keep his teeth clenched like that. That is like the closest thing that I can think of when you are engrossed in deep sin and you try to lift holy hands to God, when you try to open your mouth and praise God with the weight of unconfessed sin upon you. You cannot do it. You cannot do it until God opens your mouth. Spurgeon says, if God opens the mouth, he is sure to have the fruit of it. Psalm 63.3, it says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Verse 16, he says, for you do not delight in sacrifice, as we read in verse 6. Isaiah 1.11, it says, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. God took no pleasure in this. And on top of that, none of this would have been enough for God. It would not have been satisfactory to God because David's sins were so egregious that they required death. Look at the sins that were stacked against him. Genesis 9, 6, it says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. Exodus 21, 14, if, however, a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar that he may die. Numbers 35, 31, moreover, you shall not take ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. Deuteronomy 22:22 if a man is found lying with a married woman then both of them shall die the man who lay with the woman and the woman thus you shall purge the evil from Israel 
See, it was beyond ritual at this point. Even if God did delight in the sacrifices of the blood of bulls, goats, and lambs, there was no sacrifice left for David. So what was he to do? It was as if God says this, and we'll look at Isaiah 1.15. It says, so when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. David, the blood is on your hands. What are you going to do? What do we do? when the blood is on our hands. The only way of escape is through what verse 17 tells us, the sacrifices of God, which are a broken spirit, a spirit that is graciously broken of its will and set and firmly fixed on God, a broken and contrite heart, a heart that is broken by the recognition of sin against an altogether lovely and holy God, a heart that is ready to be washed, thoroughly cleansed, and made new. God will not despise that heart. Verses 18 and 19, it says, by your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. This is a prayer for the church. Imagine the effect that King David's sin had on those he was leading in Israel. It says in 19, then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then young bulls will be offered on your altar. Listen, the young bulls were the highest of the sacrifice that could be made. It was the most precious, but David or anybody else had to come with a right heart, with right motives, with right intent before even that would be accepted. What does that mean for us today? a view of proper repentance. If you have any perpetual sin in your life that you are hiding, know that Almighty God sees it all. He is all-knowing and ever-present, as Psalm 139 tells us. God saw every single sin that David committed. They were done in the sight of God. So, too, with your sin. It is committed in view of God who sees and knows everything. He knows everything. That should be sobering to us. Any secret sin that you may be holding on to, cherishing so deeply, it will tear you down. It will ultimately destroy you. Know that God seeks truth in the inward parts. Hold no confession of sin back. Do not hang on to secret sins. Saints, as David did, flee to the mercy of God so that the weight of your sin can be lifted off of your shoulders. God delights in the sacrifices of a broken and contrite heart, as verse 17 says. He longs to hear from children who have gone astray in sin. He delights in restoring them to the joy of salvation that they once knew. Flee to him. Believer, come to the fount of every blessing and be cleansed, be renewed, be refreshed. Do not be ashamed to ask God for all that you need in order to get back into the place where he wants you to be. 
David withheld no request. He asked God, be gracious to him, wash him, make him to hear joy and gladness, make his bones to rejoice, blot out his iniquities, create in him a clean heart. He kept asking for everything that he needed to be restored to God. God is a righteous God. He is a just God. He must punish sin. The horrific sins that David committed needed to be dealt with. David appealed to the mercy of God with confidence that God would forgive him. But on what basis? Listen, it wasn't because of the hyssop that had been sprinkled on him, that he was asking to be sprinkled on him. It was not because of his renewed spirit. It wasn't because he offered sacrifices rightly. It was because David looked forward to Christ, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. David's sin had to be atoned for, and the symbolic sacrifices of the Old Testament were not enough. Only Jesus Christ alone could atone for sins so egregious. As it was with David's sin, so it is with yours. Final word of encouragement to you as believers. When you confess your sin, know that God will forgive you. Know that he will restore your joy unto you. Sometimes it does not seem as instant as what it says here in these 19 verses. It's not as rapid fire. It doesn't feel like that. Sometimes it seems like it is a process. It seems like the weight is still on you from that sin. But understand that the Holy Spirit will not leave you nor forsake you. He is with you the whole time. The whole time. Consider the weight of your sin. Consider everything that you have done, how unrighteous your sin was. God can cleanse you from that, but sometimes it it is a process and making you feel the joy that he promises and it will come keep going back to the well and asking God to cleanse you if you wonder why after my life has been so destroyed by sin what can God do with me take comfort in the words of apostle Paul 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, it says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Jesus Christ. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. With a proper view of repentance, even the worst sinners know that they can find forgiveness, restoration, joy, and eternal life in Jesus Christ and him alone. If you have not trusted in Christ, flee to him 
You must be born again.